The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. I am your host, Vic Jaramie. Uh, I'm here with my producer and co-host, Ricky Herrera. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, Vic. How are you, man? I am well. Yourself? No complaints. Yeah. Lots going on for you. You're a big uh, sports uh, enthusiast and expert. And uh, Super Bowl is coming up. So I know you're super busy with that. Super Bowl, super busy. But that's <laughs> that's the name of the game. Exactly. Fantastic. So let's go right into it. I actually, I've been pretty busy uh, myself on Wednesday night. Uh, my film Motherland was screened uh, by the city of uh, Irvine, uh, as well as the as University of California, Irvine. It was a joint uh, thing. So uh, it was a long night. And then last night, I was at an event for uh, Mayor Karen Bass, which was fantastic. Um, sort of listening to her up close about her commitment to the city, the initiatives and what she's working on. Um, that was a really cool night. Uh, but it's, you know, it's uh, it takes a toll out of you to be at uh, like big events where you have to be on, uh, you know, night after night. Um, so uh, yeah, Mayor Bass is definitely uh, going after our unhoused issue and our challenges just head on very aggressively. Uh, and it shows and the enthusiasm from people was there as well. And uh, yeah, I was reading this, uh, this article, uh, kind of a study actually, uh, about gun violence in the U.S. just in the last two years. Uh, and it had a list of every uh, major sort of, um, um, you know, like a mass shooting that happened in both uh, 2021, 2022, and this year, sadly, already. Wow. And yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, just, uh, it's just really sort of unfathomable that, um so many of these happen and we, you know, we sort of always pause and say, you know, this has got to end, we got to do something. And then everyone just sort of goes, you know, goes on to what they're doing. In fact, uh, assembly member, uh, Jesse Gabriel, whom I'm interviewing today is, is very big on that, you know, safety and also, uh, curbing gun violence. So it'd be interesting to, uh, to listen to that too. But like just this year, you know, the two major ones we've had have been the half moon one where seven people were killed and the Monterey Park uh, mass shooting where 11 people were killed. And in, in 2022, uh, the gun violence archive um, counted 647 mass shootings of those shootings. 21 um, involved five or more fatalities. Um, the group recorded 690 mass shootings in 2021, with 28 involving four or more fatalities. That is astronomical. You know, just to give give everyone a perspective of what we're sort of um, looking at um, at a time when, at least not today that we know of, a mass shooting hasn't happened. So we pause and sort of look at this 
uh, not in the aftermath of an immediate or immediate aftermath of a mass shooting, but just when uh, we are sort of in that sort of middle ground area right now. It's sad to talk about it in those terms, but it's it's a reality that, you know, when, when one of these happened, everyone sort of sort of gets on a, a soapbox, but then not much is done afterward. Yeah. What do you got for us? Yeah, it's been the case for for a while, Vic. Remember the the outcry when Columbine happened, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's just never ending. It's horrible, and I believe I read a statistic that January of twenty twenty three, we've already seen upwards of twenty. Wow. So, you know, I hate I've said this before, and I don't know. Uh, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way, but it's it's the truth, and you know. This show is called The Blunt Post, so let's get blunt. Uh, something tells me that nothing substantial will happen until, unfortunately, one of these shootings uh, affects a high-profile uh, politician. When the HIV and AIDS crisis was happening in the early 80s, uh, the, it, was, it was largely ignored by the establishment um, and something that affected mostly uh, gay men, which at the time were you know, treated uh, like second-class citizens a lot more than now. And so it it didn't really uh, start getting some attention until it started to affect high-profile people and uh, people close to uh, politicians and, and policymakers. Uh, of course, most of us know that President Reagan did not utter the word uh, AIDS or the term AIDS until 1985, which was about four years after uh, people started to just drop dead. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a um, sad reality, but we'll see uh, if uh, you know some of the politicians that are sort of uh, committing to doing something will actually be able and have the support to uh, pass some legislation for that. But it's scary because it's, at least for me, I, I wonder what can actually prevent these type of events from happening. These are generally angry people who, and I don't, I don't want to throw them all into a, a group or anything, but angry young men, the term incels and this kind of just hatred at the world and how much can politicians really affect something like that? Um, I know the Monterey Park individual was uh, an older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going through his mind? Um, well, I, 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 I don't think that ultimately uh, we can really control anyone's mind or even you know behavior in terms of uh, someone wanting to commit uh, violence to express their, I don't know, frustration, resentment, whatever it may be. Uh, I think when it comes to legislation, we're talking more about uh, gun control, meaningful gun control, not taking people's guns away, but uh, making it much harder for people to obtain weapons, especially weapons that are unnecessary for civilians. <laughs> I don't, you know, I mean, I've I've grown up in LA, I've driven and been to every imaginable part of LA uh, and worked and some of the sort of quote-unquote riskier neighborhoods. Uh, I don't own a gun. Uh, I've never wanted to own a gun. I've never had a uh, an experience where I sort of could have used one. I'm not saying that everyone's life is mine or, you know, and we all sort of live in the same 
you know, environments, but uh, it's really like there are so many types of guns, you know, you know, like automatic weapons and semi-automatic weapons. I don't understand uh, how or why, um, uh, you know, an average person needs those. And if we make it harder uh, for people to obtain those, then we will probably, not probably, will likely reduce a lot of these mass shootings and make it uh, harder for people to go to gun shows where there are loopholes to purchase these guns. Um, and, you know, you always hear this um, sort of Second uh, Amendment uh, argument and all of that. Uh, I don't think the Second Amendment or, or you know, our forefathers who wrote them uh, wrote Second Amendment uh, meant for people to have machine guns at home. Uh, so that's that's what that is. But there will always be a certain degree of uh, crime, right? And you can't control it 100 percent. You can't, you know, you know, you can't go in people's heads and try to control that. But we can do everything that we can uh, on our end. But the gun lobby is super powerful and they, they work, uh, you know, year round uh, with lots of money to make sure that we don't uh, pass any kind of legislation because there's so much money to be made in um, in weapons manufacturing, including, and this isn't, uh, this has nothing to do with uh, um, mass shootings in the U.S., but the military industrial complex, I mean, they love wars, right? So they, you know, they, they want there to be wars because they make billions, if not trillions, and due to war, like the 2.6 trillion that was spent on Afghanistan in 20 years. Yeah, that that's the problem. Is that that narrative's been out there for a while now? Gun control, tougher laws, and you have the Democrats generally pushing for that, and then Republicans are on the let's tackle the mental health aspect of this. Take a mental health approach to to younger people to to curb this kind of violence and stuff. And so that that's why I bring up the the mental health aspect because it seems to always just kind of evolve into that because that side is not willing to work with the gun control side. Yeah, well, I I I I'd love to know where which Republican has been pushing for mental health because I haven't even heard much of that. Um but uh you know, again, you you can't force people to go into therapy. You can't force people. You can't even identify who's having mental breakdowns or having challenges with mental health uh, so that you can encourage them to go into uh, some sort of a treatment. Not that we have great, uh, you know, universal health care for all Americans uh, for that to be even possible. But even if it was, it's not something that you can uh, identify easily or encourage people to do it, but you can, you can, uh, restrict, uh, certain types of weapons and the sale of these weapons and tighten the loopholes. No, we can only do what's in our power, uh, not anything that is not in our power, you know, and I am an advocate for mental health. Absolutely. Um, and you know, we should get rid of the stigma of, uh, mental health care, uh, and people sort of talking openly about that. So there you have it. Okay. So on another uh, note, Vic, Adam Schiff has been in the news, uh, Democrat from California. Um, and he's in a, a, a weird spot. Um, Representative Matt Gaetz is pushing a new bill that would restrict the former House Intelligence Committee chairman, Adam Schiff, 
from access to classified information over what he calls baseless claims of collusion between Donald Trump's 2016 campaign and Russia. Okay, well, I mean, to me, it's laughable because when you look at the credibility and the record of Congressman uh, Schiff and uh, Congressman Gates or Gaetz, uh, it's just, uh, it's not even close. Like, and I wouldn't even like put them on the same page. Uh, you know, I think this is what this is about is a big, you know, sort of some people in the Republican Party, it's their resentment toward uh, Congressman Schiff for several reasons. Uh, of course, one of them, as you mentioned, is that he, he led the impeachment trial uh, against President uh, Trump, at least the first one. So, you know, this has been, this has been sort of a resentment uh, on that level. As far as, <laughs> I mean, there's so much evidence of colluding uh, on, from so many different areas and so many different organizations. I don't know how anyone can really uh, ignore it now or, or deny it, I should say. Um, it's absurd. But I think this is a, this is, this is actually uh, has a lot more to do with um, what probably some of them are sort of threatened by Congressman Schiff's future and where he might be heading. Now, Congressman Schiff just yesterday announced that he's going to be uh, running for uh, California State Senate for uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein's seat. You know, this is, uh, I think this is sort of a offense as defense because uh, some think that he's going to be, you know, one day he might be a great presidential candidate, you know, because he's beloved. He has a great track record. He's done incredible work uh, as a state senator, California state senator, and then also as a representative for over 20 years. So it's more of a let's break him down now. Let's sort of make it harder and harder so that he's not a threat to the Republican Party uh, and is not a viable presidential candidate. At least this is just my analysis and my sort of perspective. And we've seen this happen. You know, they did that to uh, Governor Gray Davis, uh, Governor Gray Davis of California, who who was considered a great candidate for president by a lot of people. But they, um, you know, they concocted, um, you know, the whole um, scandal for him that we now know it was uh, it was kind of a an insider thing from from their part. And so they, you know, they recalled him and made sure that he's not uh, he doesn't have much of a political career. And I think so now they are sort of uh, proactively trying to, you know, take him down. And they've been doing this, you know, for for a long time with Congressman Schiff, uh, him being one of the most uh, prominent and uh, high profile members of Congress. Yeah. Poor old Gray Davis. Yeah. And anyways, uh, so this uh, press release from the from Re Republican uh, Guyette uh, said Congressman Adam Schiff led the effort for years to weaponize lies from the Clinton campaign and a corrupt Department of Justice to smear President Trump while destroying any trust the country had left in America's intelligence agencies. <laughs> Where? Where I'm sorry, <laughs> I know you're not finished, but where does he get this stuff? I mean, it's so <laughs> absurd. You know, I've interviewed Congressman Schiff many times. He is such a fact-based person. <laughs> you know, when he speaks, um, it's almost like 
everything he says is coming out of a book because he's so by the book. So to accuse him of this, like, like this fantastical, you know, some conspiracy is just really absurd. And of course, you know, I mean, consider the the source too. Anyways, I, I just think it's just laughable. Yes, Adam Schiff has been on the show multiple times. He he's a great he's a great person, just uh, as persons are. You know, regardless of his record, he's just a good guy. Mm-hmm. I thought you might have something to say on this. Anyways, moving <laughs> on, moving on. As you know, Trump was taken off social media at one point. He will now have his accounts restored. Vic, is this is this a big deal or no deal? I, I was thinking about that, too, because uh, my reaction was that it's not a big deal. And I hope I'm not wrong because I've sort of come to a point where, okay, one percent of me is always going to say, uh, don't discount Trump and anything can happen. I mean, after the 2016 presidential election, uh, I will never uh, I will never sort of say I'll never say never, never, because you just don't know. But I do think that, um, you know, uh, President Trump running again. It's. I mean, he could. I mean, he's obviously already announced. But in terms of becoming a viable candidate or even a, a nominee, I don't know about that. And I say that not so much from perspective of voters, even though he has a pretty good base still, but because a lot of his, um, a lot of his, uh, well, a lot of his big donors, mega donors, have abandoned him. Uh, he's now having some riff with the evangelicals, which is, you know, not a good idea because that was his base. Uh, so, you know, I say he's already been restored to Twitter. He's already on a couple of other social media uh, handles. Those that are listening to him and worship him, they're going to find wherever he is. So I don't know what, to, you know, how much more damage he can do by being on Facebook and Instagram. He still has to, you know, uh, abide by their rules and regulations, and they've said that they're going to monitor him. To me, it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Who knows? I don't think him being on social media is a big deal either in itself. What I thought was the the bigger deal was when he... Because if I'm correct, he was actually banned during his presidency. Correct. Which is is just a bizarre event in itself. And it always gives me a a chuckle to think about that. Um, Yeah, but I have to I have to say this because I I think we should remember this. Twitter allowed President Trump for almost four years to spew all kinds of lies, dangerous lies, and uh, hostility and bullying and disinformation uh, to the American public and to the world. And just a couple of weeks before, uh, you know, his term was over, they finally suspended him when the when the damage was done. So I, you know, Twitter should be called out for that because Twitter treated him with a whole other type of a standard than anyone else. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, because I think it just just got really, really bad, especially after January 6th, they said, oh, okay, let's um, let's suspend him. It'll be good PR and we can say uh, we did something and we did, uh, 
be good PR because uh, we can say we've suspended a U.S. A sitting U.S. president from Twitter. But the damage had been done, and Twitter had a huge responsibility for letting that go on for a long time because Twitter was really Trump's uh, major weapon, and that's why. Uh, when that was taken away from him, he was so vocal about it and he was so angry uh, and self-righteous uh, because the, the the big weapon where he just put all this out there to his to his base, to his uh, fans, if you will, and telling them to do this and that, uh, that was taken away from him. And that was on Twitter. Um, so I haven't forgotten that. Lastly, do you have an over under on how long before he's banned again? Oh. I'm putting it at know. two years. Who knows? I mean, he's so unpredictable. You know, something tells me if he's if he's really seriously running for president, you know, as he's announced, then he has a a team, a new team, and this team is going to be monitoring that and advising him. Again, this is all just me. I don't know the facts, but my guess is he knows that it's not going to be as easy this time. So he's going to have to play by the rules. So who knows what will happen? I mean, he could he could say something really egregious that violates their rules uh, in a week, or he could sort of have his team uh, use uh, Instagram and Facebook as a, sort of a supplement and you know for press releases and uh, sound bites and this and that and and really not put anything uh, too outrageous on there. You would think someone would evolve, learn from their mistakes. Etc. Etc. But I don't think he's that kind of guy. Uh, I guess only time will tell. No, exactly, exactly. So, uh, well, we're going to take a break now. But after the break, um, it's time to listen to my interview with um, Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel, who represents the, the most of the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles. Um, I was very impressed with Assemblymember Gabriel. He was so sort of unfiltered and blunt just really really enjoyed uh, talking to him he was not afraid to go there on so many issues uh, so um yeah let's take a break and when we come back we'll listen to my interview with uh assembly member gabriel the blunt post with vic assembly member jesse gabriel was first elected to the california state assembly in june 2018 to represent the 45th assembly district which includes much of the san fernando valley in los angeles a graduate of UC Berkeley and Harvard Law School, Assemblymember Gabriel worked as a constitu uh, constitutional rights and general litigation attorney before becoming a public servant. Among countless honors, uh, he's been recognized as the California Attorney of the Year by the Daily Journal and one of Sacramento Bee's California influencers. Good morning, Assemblymember Gabriel. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing great, Vic. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. Uh, for me as well. I grew up in the Valley, and you represent a, a, a majority of the Valley toward the west the west side of the Valley. Uh, I think most people um, who don't live or are not familiar with don't know how big the Valley is. So, um, So yeah, it's absolutely an honor for me as well. Um, let's get right into it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, beginning of the year. Uh, lots have changed. Um, I think, you know, we just had an election and I, I, you know, every four years we say uh, this is the election of our lifetime. This is the most important election for us, especially 
when it comes to the national election, presidential, I personally feel like this past November, uh, the election we had was really the most important election, at least in my lifetime, for the greater Los Angeles area. It was a very uh, decisive um, uh, election, on a lot of change. So I, I want to get your perspective on uh, what you think and um, and what you think, uh, how you think it all went down and where we are today. Yeah, thank you so much. And I have to just go back to the thing you said about the the San Fernando Valley. I'm obviously so proud to rep the Valley in Sacramento. And when I when I got up here and I started telling people I was from the Valley, I realized that they think that means the Central Valley. Uh, and so part of what we're trying to do is put the San Fernando Valley on the map and make sure that we get our fair share of state resources and transportation funding and all these things. And so often when my colleagues from other parts of the state think about LA, they think about the West Side, they think about downtown, they're not thinking about us in the San Fernando Valley. So I'm really, really proud to represent such a diverse and vibrant community. And a big part of what we're trying to do is make sure that we uh, we get our fair share and we have our voice heard up here in the state capitol. Absolutely. As you mentioned, I think it's um, it's exactly right. People always say uh, it's the most important election of our lifetime, and it certainly has felt that way uh, the last couple election cycles with how crazy our world is and how crazy our politics have become. But this was a big one for L.A. County, and this was a big one for the city of Los Angeles. And, you know, as I go around the community and talk to folks and, and just my own perceptions, it really felt like things are going in a, in a really complicated and not a good direction for, for the county, for the city. Uh, we're at a very complicated moment. And obviously our housing and homelessness crisis at the top of that, the frustration um, that people are feeling, the lack of confidence in elected officials to make a difference to solve that problem which is not only a public health and, and public safety uh, crisis, it's also a humanitarian and moral crisis that we're watching unfold before us. And that is a really, really complicated thing. And we need to make some progress on that. And I think a lot of this past election was voters' frustration with the lack of progress that has been made. The other issue we're facing is a lack of public confidence in elected officials. And obviously the top of of, of of the you know data points there is what happened at the city right those horrific tapes where we heard uh all of that uh you know anti-black racism anti-indigenous racism comments about the armenian community the jewish community um and and really more than that just the most cynical backroom politics of people trying to divide communities trying to pit communities against each other so we have a we, we're facing a real crisis i think in the city of los angeles i think a lot of voters uh, are really frustrated. They're not seeing results. They're losing confidence in the ability of elected officials and civic institutions to solve their problems. And so I am really, really hopeful that this some of the new leadership that we brought in, particularly our mayor, Karen Bass, are going to put us on a different course, are going to help to solve some of these big issues and also restore public confidence and public trust in government. Wow. I'm I'm really impressed. So I was uh, going to go right into my question, but I have to just address something. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. When I was doing my homework on you, I was super impressed by your uh, your resume, your background, Berkeley and Harvard, and, uh, you know, how you've you have already had an incredible uh, career at a, at a young age. But what I was really impressed with just now is how you're not afraid to talk about some uncomfortable topics and you brought them up and that's, you know, my show is called the blunt post. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that sort of being direct and unfiltered and really addressing the elephant in the room. Uh, so I appreciate that from, 
you know, yes, the tapes, the infamous tapes. Um, and, uh, and another thing is, you know, you, you use the word humanitarian uh, crisis uh, in addressing the unhoused homelessness. And, and uh, you're so right. That's just, uh, you know, something that we don't really talk about. I think we get caught up with the practical and the legal and, and policy and all of that. So I appreciate it. Um, speaking of the homelessness challenge that we have in SoCal, I do believe in uh, the fact that homelessness is, is really a national problem. It's uh, We just happen to have about 50% of the uh, nation's uh, homeless in California for obvious reasons. Um, you know, and that that reason uh, is from inequality and income and disintegration of middle class and uh, living wage and all of that. But you know, we do have this major challenge we're dealing with, including in your district. Um, and so Mayor Bass has, you know, was very sort of vocal about this during her campaign, and she has sort of come to office and been very aggressive in 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 sort of uh, dealing and handling. Uh, this major issue that that was really on the top of everyone's agenda. Um, how do you think she's doing? Although I, I think it's a little unfair to judge her now. Uh, it's too early. But in terms of her policies and how she's tackling it and how it really, um, uh, you know, is it similar to what you would do? Yeah, I think, look, I think you hit the nail on the head in the way that you described it, which is this is the issue at the top of the agenda. I think most folks that I talk to, if it's not the first question I get, it's the second question. This is something that in all corners of our city, uh, people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, they are looking at our inability to solve the homelessness problem, and they want to see results on that. And so far, I mean, you're, you're right, it is early, um, and, and so it's probably unfair to judge her. But I, I will say I have been very impressed by the mayor's action so far. I think she's doing it exactly right, declaring a state of emergency, and then taking actions that are consistent and are showing the public that she's going to do tough things to solve this. The, the part of what has been missing here is leadership and coordination. And so her, her, the way that she has brought uh, the different members of the city council together to get behind her plan, the way that she's gone to the board of supervisors, obviously, L.A. is only one city in, in L.A. County. There's 88 cities. So you need broader regional coordination to solve this. You have almost 70,000 homeless people in L.A. County. I mean, it's really um, unfathomable. But she is bringing people together and providing that coordination and that leadership that that we so desperately need. And, and I'll say a couple of other things about this. Part of what I appreciate about her strategy with focusing on some of the biggest and most dangerous encampments first, doing it, getting people off the streets in a way that is humane and compassionate, is that people need to see results. I feel like we are at a moment where the public has lost confidence in the ability of government to solve this problem. And it's so challenging. I talk to people in my district and they say, look, I voted twice to tax myself. I voted for Measure H at the county level. I voted for HHA at the city level. I said, take more of my money and, and to, to elected officials and go do something about this because it is heartbreaking to me what I see every time I drive down Ventura Boulevard or every time I'm under an underpass on the 101. And they want mm -hmm. us to do something and they're not seeing progress. And so her strategy of demonstrating progress to people, helping those who are most vulnerable, most at risk, uh, I think is a really, really wise one. And I'll say one other thing on the coordination point. She understands that this is something that we've all got to solve together, that a lot of this, as you mentioned, is the result of decades and decades of policy choices, of housing policy choices, of, uh, of the tremendous wealth and income inequality that we have here in the United States and in the state of California. 
And, you know, I was so impressed. She sent her entire senior leadership team up to Sacramento to meet with members of the legislature. I had an opportunity to meet with them. We had a very candid conversation about homelessness. They're very interested in partnership. And so it's that bringing people together, getting everybody on the same page. That's the kind of leadership that I think it's in coordination it's going to take to solve this crisis. And so far, uh, I've been very impressed with the way that she's handled it. Wow, great. Thank you for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. You've, you know, you've had a lot of accomplishments, um, and it's interesting looking at uh, some of the things that you've done. One can tell you're, you're a younger, um, younger in, in a good way, uh, elected official who really addresses more progressive and 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 often neglected uh, issues uh, from uh, you know gun control legislation to uh, social media transparency and environment and such. Uh, what uh, you know, and you have a big agenda in front of you for twenty twenty three. What are some of the things that we can uh, expect? What are you working on? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I I when I was elected to office, I had no gray hairs, and now I'm starting to get a few. So that's uh, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, look, I I think it's important for young people to be in office. I think it's important for progressive people to have a seat at the table as we're making those policy choices. I feel like our generation has a lot at stake in some of these big um, challenges that we're facing climate change, you know, an existential threat to 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 our to our species, to the planet. And we're the ones that are going to be around on our kids that are going to have to deal with the consequences of, of a lot of these decisions. So. Um, we're trying to work on what we think are some of the biggest challenges facing uh, our community, the San Fernando Valley, and also the state of California. You mentioned gun violence. Obviously, we've had this horrific string of mass shootings. Um, it was wild to me. I was on the steps of the state capitol on Monday uh, holding a vigil for the, for the victims of the mass shooting in Monterey Park. Uh, with a lot of members of the API community and a lot of my colleagues, and we have this vigil and everyone is feeling um, so sad about this. And we walk back to our offices a few blocks away. And the first thing I do is find out that there's been another mass shooting in Half Moon Bay, right? And so the, the, the frequency of these is so distressing. This has been a priority of mine. It's, I, I helped to organize a, a working group on gun violence when I uh, entered the legislature. And so we have three bills that we are working on this year related to um, related to gun violence, uh, attacks on guns and ammunition. It's controversial. Uh, but it would raise a lot of revenue to help fund uh, school safety improvements and, and violence intervention programs. Uh, another bill that would help to keep guns out of the hands of people who commit domestic violence. We know that uh, someone uh, five times more likely to die if their abuser uh, has access to a gun. And then also helping to address some of the challenges that we have with mental health and guns to make sure that people are struggling with mental health issues don't have access to guns. So that is going to be a top priority of ours. Um, and and such an urgent issue. And we're really frustrated that we can't make more progress in Washington, D.C. on this issue. Uh, congressional Republicans have really blocked a lot of the progress that we need to see. But absent the action we need from Washington, we're going to push forward here in California because we have to we have to protect our communities. We haven't, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the, the show, it's still the very beginning of the legislative session. So we haven't introduced all of our bills yet. And I don't want to um, get too far out ahead of of, of sure. my staff and my colleagues, but I will say some of the other big issues we're going to work on. Um, yeah, EV infrastructure. Um, you talked about climate change, making sure that we can transition to electric vehicles um, in a way that is equitable so that it's not just the wealthy that have access, that everybody can, uh, that we have a robust infrastructure here and that we're going to have opportunities for everybody to 
uh, be part of the solution on climate change. Uh, obviously, housing and homelessness. Uh, I think we're going to do some stuff, particularly around veterans. We have so many homeless veterans uh, who have special needs and trying to help bring some of them off the street. Uh, protecting our most vulnerable communities. So we're going to continue to work to protect kids. I have three little kids, uh, the challenges that they face online with youth mental health issues. Uh, and then also looking at, at uh, hate crimes and domestic violence. And again, some of the communities that are most vulnerable, how do we, how do we protect them? So lots to come, hopeful to make some news uh, in the coming weeks. But I think you have a good sense of what our priorities are going to be and where our focus is going to be in 2023. Excellent. Thank you. This is the Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you're listening to my interview with Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. Um, I think it's my last question. I know you're uh, pressed for time. You know, you have you have a pretty sizable uh, Armenian American community in, in your district. And uh, I know that you are aware of what's happening, not only uh, since 2020, the invasion of uh, Artsakh by Azerbaijan, but the current crisis, which is, I think, day 43 now of this blockade of Artsakh, where 120,000 Armenians are literally being starved to death uh, without medicine and food and uh, being able to go in and out of Artsakh. Um, uh, what, uh, what's your message for the Armenian community? Uh, you know, I think Armenian community feel very... Uh, obviously not by, uh, you know, all, but to a degree abandoned by the international community and some of our leaders. Um, so uh, what is your message for the Armenian community and, and your sort of your perspective on what's happening? Yeah, um, it's a fantastic question and a heartbreaking situation. And I will say my message to the Armenian community in my district and the people of Armenia is that we stand with you and we stand in solidarity with you and we have your back. Uh, unconditionally. I am really proud to represent uh, such a large and, and active Armenian uh, American community in the San Fernando Valley. I think, as you probably know, the first Armenian high school for Ahian in my district uh, in Encino, um, and just such a wonderful part of the, of the fabric of the Valley and of California, facing discrimination. And we've seen that in my short time in office, uh, hate crimes directed against the Armenian community here in 2020, 2021, 2022 in the United States of America. Um, but also, this devastating situation that we have uh, with Artsakh, and and really this is a this is an illegal and a moral blockade. Um, it is an opportunity. I think you described it beautifully: a way to deprive people of food and medicine and power and fuel, and to try to freeze people and starve them. Um, and it's it's it is um, it's an incredibly traumatic event, and and we have an obligation to do something about it to raise the alarm. Uh, One hundred twenty thousand people. I had the. Um, privilege yesterday to via Zoom uh, hear from some of the leaders of Artsakh um, who were telling us about what it was like, the situation on the ground. Children who were on a field trip in Armenia, separated from their families, who cannot reconnect. People who are literally freezing in their homes, people who need medicine and, and fuel and food who are being denied basic and essential supplies. These are gross violations of human rights. And as an American uh, and as a Californian, they're not something that we can stand idly by and watch. And so as a member of the Armenian caucus, we've sent a letter to President Biden uh, calling on him to do everything possible to uh, open the, the Latchin Corridor uh, to make sure that that food and supplies and fuel can get in, that we end this 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 blockade and that we send the humanitarian assistance that we need. So um, it's a devastating situation. And part of the problem, I think, is that there's so much going on in the world right now between Ukraine and all of the craziness in Washington and everything else going over the world. This is not getting the attention that it deserves. 
But this is an outrageous uh, and 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 really um, unbelievable attack on the human rights of the indigenous Armenian community uh, in Artsakh. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that Washington is going to stand up and respond robustly because that's that is what is consistent with our American values. Wow! Thank you for that. That was um, that was truly uh, impressive. Again, uh, especially you didn't shy away from uh, calling it what it is, which is an illegal blockade. So I, I know. I, Many people listening to you appreciate that because we're we're so used to hearing rhetoric and sound bites and uh, toxic both sidedism um, um, and just misinformed people um, saying things that actually further aggravate the issue. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, I think I think to your point about this, my view on on public service and on politics is you have to be blunt and you have to be honest with people. Uh, you have to tell like it is. And I don't get on an airplane every week and fly up to Sacramento and spend, spend the week separated with my three kids to, from my three kids to, you know, kind of make friends with people, right? I'm in public service to try to make a difference. And it, it is, it is a disservice to the people of Armenia and, and on any issue to not be honest about what's going on, right? I think, I think honesty and authenticity are so important. And this is, for anyone who understands, this is a horrific situation, and we just have to be honest about that and call it what it is. And if we're we dance around the issue, we're not doing anybody any favors. Yeah, and that sets you apart. Thank you for that, uh, Assembly Member. Before we go, uh, is there a question I should have asked you that I didn't, or is there anything you'd like to add? No, you got uh, you had a pretty wide range of questions there. So, and I think you're you're really focused on um, you know the big issues that are facing the city. I think you're exactly right about you know, looking at what the mayor is doing. And I'm, you know, the, the next couple of months, I think are going to be critical for her. So um, I think that'll be really interesting to see how it all unfolds. Well, thank you. Good luck to you. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you again. Thank you, Vic. Such an honor to be with you. And I hope to talk again soon. So that was my interview with uh, Assembly Member Jesse Gabriel. It was really a, a pleasurable experience. Uh, thank you, Assembly Member, for for your time and for being on the Blunt Post with Vic uh, this morning. Uh, good luck with every everything, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible. And KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami, at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. Blunt Post with Vic.